Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Wonderful to be with you today. It is the first day of April 2021, and we are in the fifth day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's been a glorious feast, quite frankly. It's a spiritual feast, and we're feeling really good about the way things are going. We've been very blessed to celebrate the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread at the beginning of this year. And we believe that we are setting uh, a mark for the days that lie ahead. You know now we're 45 days away from Shavuot, or what we know in the New Testament as the day of Pentecost, Pente being 50. And in the Feast of the Lord, there is this progression. And between now and Shavuot, Pentecost, we're 45 days to continue to not only celebrate the first great feast of the year, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, which we've already celebrated. Now we're kind of wrapping up days five, six, and seven for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that is all about getting rid of any malice, insincerity, uh, sin in our lives, and that's a joyful thing. I don't know about anybody else, but to be sin-free is as good as being pain-free, you know, debt-free, um, free of sickness and disease. I mean, it's just really good to be free. And real freedom is a personal experience that we all have opportunity to, ex- to experience with God. So anyways, we've talked about it for a number of days now. We've been talking about this great feast. Now what's going to happen 
as we celebrate today. And then at sunset tonight, we'll begin day six. And um, sunset Friday will begin the seventh day of the feast. And uh, we will culminate that, you know, on Saturday and Sunday and through the weekend. We're just going to chill out. And then what happens is that we're going to wait and we're going to see that what we have participated in on purpose with faith, nothing doubting, is we're going to begin to see the fruit of the beginning of this year. And that's going to lead us, by the time we get to Shavuot, we're going to have some evidence that we are involved in something that is spiritual, not just earthly. And then when we get to that 50th day and the exact date on that, I need to get for uh, what Shavuot is. I'll make sure we do that. Um, We will celebrate a two-day feast at that point, and then for the following four months, all throughout June, July, August, September, four full months, we expect in the economy of God to see an abundant, fruitful harvest. We believe it's a spiritual harvest, first of all, so the fruit of the Spirit in our lives The cultivation of the good soil and the good seed that was sown in the good soil of our hearts will bring produce. We believe that. This is the spiritual intrinsic value of the Feast of the Lord. But we also believe because people participated in giving their Passover offering, their first fruits offering, their best at the beginning of the year, that they are going to experience the multiplication of their seed sown as well. And so when we talk about the multiplication of seed sown, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I believe it is, tells us that God will multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So we know that by giving, that there's a connection to the heart and there's a transformation that goes on, both physically and spiritually. And you need to be encouraged about that. You may have been manipulated, toyed with, made, you know, merchandise of in your past. This is not about that. This is about us following a biblical pattern, and let's see if it works. Let's put it to the test. It's the one area in Malachi chapter 3 that God says, you can test me in this, the tithes and the offerings, which are connected to the feast days of the Lord. So that's where we are, but that's not what we want to talk about today. Today, I want to read something to you out of Matthew chapter 16. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 16, if you have your scriptures, We'll get into the Bible. And here's what it says. The Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, they were sad, you see, came and tempting, desired Jesus that he would show them a sign from heaven. Hey, listen, if you're the Messiah, give us a sign. Jesus answered, And said unto them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times. And that's the subject of our conversation today. 
discerning the signs of the times. It's very interesting. In verse 4, Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. All right, he left them once again amazed, baffled, dazzled, because he's speaking to them in parables still. And yet all the signs of that time were everywhere. Miracles, signs, wonders, lepers being healed, people being raised from dead, deaf people hearing, mute people speaking, blind people seeing, thousands of people being fed in the wilderness. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, all the signs were there. The teaching, the prophecies, the, you know, all of it, it was all there. Everything was being fulfilled, even in their scriptures, in, 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 the, in the Hebrew scriptures. Everything concerning the Messiah was taking place before their very eyes. And yet they couldn't see it. And obviously today, you and I are living on planet Earth on April 1st, 2021 in our Gregorian calendar. And people are wondering, well, you know, where are we? You know, give me a sign. I mean, you guys keep saying it's the last days. You guys keep saying it's the end times. Um, what is the, how do you know that's true? What's the proof of that? Well, we would refer to the signs that are taking place in our generation that Jesus told us would be before he came in his second coming. When he would come out of heaven in the clouds, he would be in the clouds in the air. He would send forth his angels. He would reap the earth. There would be a resurrection of the dead. Those alive and remaining would be caught up. They'd be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye. They'd be caught up to meet the Lord. And he told us exactly when that was going to happen. Jesus in the scriptures told us that he would come immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, if it was referring to 70 AD, then we would have to agree with our preterist friends that Jesus Christ returned in 70 AD on a white horse, in the clouds, uh, everybody was caught up, and according to preterists, we have been in the millennial reign for the last 2,000 years. And it's very difficult to perceive or to consider that the last 2,000 years has been the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And I've studied preterism, and I know that this is what they do say. Josephus writes about Jesus coming in the clouds. There was an army in the heaven with white horses. I mean, they describe Revelation 19. They never describe just all the other verses that Jesus remains in the clouds. They describe Jesus coming with the armies of heaven. Well, Jesus doesn't come with the armies of heaven until Revelation 19, when he comes on the earth and he judges and makes war. Well, that's what they said he did. So that ushers in the millennial kingdom. So... If we have been in the millennial kingdom where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning since 70 AD, then you would have to ask, well, why then, if he's ruling and reigning, were Christians subjected to the lion's dens, to the Colosseum, 
to torture and barbaric torture. And when you study the history of what they did to Christians in the Colosseum, making sport out of them, the catacombs. And then, you know, throughout the ages, we see all of this transpiring. We see persecution. We go into all the dark ages and the Inquisition and the Reformation and World War One, World War Two. You know, we, we've seen all this devastation, death, bubonic plagues, 50 million dead here. I mean, how is that the rule and reign of Jesus Christ? We have to absolutely 1,000% reject that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were referring to 70 AD. Were there events that happened in 70 AD? Absolutely. Was the temple destroyed? Were the people scattered in that generation at that time? Absolutely. But that was just the beginning of everything else the Lord talked about. That He answered three questions. When will these things be? the destruction of the temple, and the sign of your coming, and the end of the world. Well, he talks about all of that in the scriptures. So what are the signs of the times today? What are you and I living in? What kind of a world do we live in? Can we find anywhere in scripture, for example, that there are signs? Well, let's take a look at just a few And why don't we begin in the book of Timothy? It's always a great place to start, in the book of Timothy. And why don't we just begin to look at chapter 3, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let's see if we can find some signs of the times where the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, spoke of concerning The day is right before his return. What would be happening right before his return? Well, 2 Timothy, and you may say these things have existed from the beginning of time, and probably to a degree they have. However, we are living in a global reality today through electronic interconnectedness. You know that's true. The world has gotten a lot smaller. Technology has exploded. Israel has become a nation. And you've heard me say it a thousand times, but why not say it a thousand more times? I mean, Israel becoming a nation within our generation, seeing a generation as 70 years, 80 if by strength, and Israel's 72 years old. So rather than rejecting this incredible knowledge, the fact of the matter is, you have to excuse me one second. I got to be right back. Well, that's very raw and organic television. Had to get the little guy. Okay. So where were we? Um, Second Timothy chapter three. Sorry about that. Whew. This know also. Oh, we were talking about Israel. That's right. So we say things like, gosh, Israel became a nation in our generation after 1900 and some odd years 
of being a scattered people all over the world. And in 1948, that happened. 1967, they fought the war. So my thought to that is that one sign by itself of Israel, and and again, where do you get that from? Well, I've studied some really excellent teachings on this about the fig tree prophecy. And the fig tree, as in Scripture, in Hosea and other places, is referring to Israel. And when you see it put forth its branches, and it talks about a nation coming back to life again. It talks about a nation that was dead, and it returns. And there are, there are prophecies throughout the entire Old Testament about Israel becoming a nation again in the last days. But the fig tree prophecy is all about that taking place. And so in our generation, the fig tree, 1948, shot forth its branches. Well, today it's a full-blown nation with a capital in Jerusalem, fully functioning. The fig tree has blossomed. And Jesus said that this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. The generation he was referring to, according to the fig tree prophecy, was Israel becoming a nation. And because a generation is 70 years, 80 if by strength, according to Psalms, that means Israel being 73, we are the generation, according to that prophecy, and according to those timelines, we would be the prophecy, the generation that should be looking at this incredible sign. What other nation on the face of the earth do you know that was scattered and basically dead for over 1,900 years that has ever come back together and become a thriving nation in the world? What other nation do you know that has done that? I know of none. And so I sit back, and and rather than just repeating information, I stand in awe of that knowledge, and I deeply digest the meaning. What does this mean that Israel has become a nation again after 1,900 years? Is that a biblical sign? I believe it's one of the brightest, shining stars sending signals to the earth going, listen, you are the generation. And if we keep marking it out, there's only seven or eight years left to this generation if we're right in the time frame. Nobody's putting signs, seasons, dates, or times. Just saying, this is what we look at. Now, there was another sign that I thought was just as prevalent and profound, and that was the sign in Daniel chapter 12, that in the last days, knowledge would be increased. And so when you look about technology today, how can we ignore this incredible sign of our times? Well, there's always been an increase of technology. Yeah, but we are the exponential. I mean, we've been tick, 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 tick going on, and then suddenly, woof, in our generation, the exponential rise of technology through artificial intelligence, you've heard it how many times, but it is not something to just let go in one ear and out the other. It's something to deeply digest and really think about. What does this mean? Jesus, again, he was upset with his generation. 
He said, in the morning it will be foul weather today, you say, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? And he was referring to his arrival in Jerusalem as the Messiah. All the signs accompanying the Messiah were there. They couldn't see it. So you and I look at these amazing shining signs. Israel becomes a nation. Technology explodes. Then there's even another one in Daniel that talks about that people will be traveling to and fro. And when you look in the Hebrew, it gets basically that people would be flying on eagles' wings. They'd be traveling around the world on wings. Well, Daniel didn't know about airplanes in those days. Okay? So, again, we see a world that moves and people are traveling all over the world. The hustling, the bustling highways, the chariots, and their wheels, you know, bustling through the city streets. So many prophecies and the signs of the times are everywhere. We could look at other signs and we could see, but, but these three are pretty phenomenal, if you want to be really honest. Three prophetic signs in our generation. How do you ignore that? Okay, so we need to discern the signs of the times. What are, what are these signs telling us? What does it mean that Israel, well, it means you're the final generation. If the prophecy is true, if the word of God is true, if we're understanding it properly, what else does it mean? Well, in the last days, there'd be an increase of knowledge. Technology has exploded. What does that mean? It's the last days. It's, a time, it's during, in Daniel 12, Jacob's trouble. So we know that trouble is going to come to Israel. It's already beginning to stir it's been around for a long time, ever since they've been a nation, but eventually something's going to go south in, in Israel, according to the time of Jacob's trouble. And that's, again, another prophecy. Things aren't going to stay tepid. Things aren't going to stay normal. Things aren't going to remain the same. Things are going to change, and it's going to happen quick, and it's going to be ferocious, according to the words of God. It is the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. This we know and we believe. So with these major prophetic signs in our generation, we go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy concerning the end times. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Well, hasn't that gone on from the beginning of time? I think so. But would there ever be a time like in the days of Noah where everything was so self-serving and, and the, the solical gratifications of in, uh, interaction with demonic spirits, okay, were taking place? Well, today there seems to be an incredible interaction between the spiritual world of demons and human beings, there's interaction. I mean, when you start drinking little babies' blood, when you start having men having sex with men and women having sex with women, and you're turning your male body into a female body and your female body into a male body, uh, you know, when you, when you do these crazy, insane things and you're in the occult and witchcraft and Satanism, and I mean, all of that exponentially rising to a nation that at one time shut their doors on Sunday so everybody could take a, a Sabbath rest you know, with, with what they understood and knew. It wasn't always the way it is in our country, particularly. Before this generation, 
America was a totally different nation. I mean, the laws were different. It was illegal to have an abortion. It was illegal to have pornography. It was illegal to be a homosexual or lesbian. You never turned your body into another, another gender. I mean, this is insanity that's going on right now, and it is a sign of the times. But he says, men shall be lovers of their own selves. He said that men would be covetous. Coveting, desiring to have more than what they have, always wanting from others or what others have. He said it would be a boasting generation, boasters, and it would be, uh, they, men would be proud. And you hear boast and proud all the time about all that we've done and our accomplishments and achievements, et cetera, et cetera. Proud in our inventions, proud in our thinking, proud in what we've created. Look what we've done with the works of our own hands. That's everywhere. But he also said there would be blasphemers every single day just in the United States of America alone through Hollywood in that little one-eyed beast called the television, blasphemy against God and against his son every single day. Every single day, the promotion of wickedness on television. And you may not watch it, but around this country and around the world, people are watching it every day. And they are hearing the God dings, and they're hearing the JCs, and they're hearing all this blasphemy against God by promoting witchcraft movies and series about Lucifer and on and on and on. So we have this going on. He said also that there would be disobedient to parents. Man, is this a generation where our children have been disobedient to their parents? Have we lost our sense of manners? Have we lost our sense of respect and honor? We're a generation ago. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And people were taught to respect. Today, you have children totally dishonoring their mothers and fathers, disobeying them. Very rebellious spirit in our land. And that's basically where we are today. How about an unthankful generation? Are we a generation of unthankful? We, We get something and then we just want more and we're not thankful for what we had. We're not thankful for a great country that had spiritual values and spiritual principles and moral standards. We're not thankful for a country that once promoted righteousness. And because we lost our thankfulness, all of a sudden we lost the blessing. And now we live in this soup of degradation and perdition and just an unthankful and an unholy generation. Are we an unholy generation? All I have to do is look around and see how much unholiness is going on in all your city streets and in your government and your churches and all around, maybe in our own hearts, unholy generation. You know, we, we ridicule and mock the things of God. We blaspheme. We make Jesus a homosexual. We have, genera- we have uh, denominational churches, big ones, that capitulate and yield to this kind of agenda that's going on in our nation and other sign of the times. When would a Christian church advocate for homosexuality and lesbianism and abortion? And yet in our generation, it's everywhere, and everybody's being told to accept it. It's how about a generation without natural affection? Well, our generation, we murder innocent babies. Talk about without natural affection. We don't even love the child in the womb any longer. Our generation sponsored 90 million abortions just here, over 500 million abortions around the world. Do you know how unnatural that really is? And yet we've taken what is unnatural and made it natural. 
I mean, that's another sign of the times. Without natural affection, we could really care less. Oh, so-and-so died, so-and-so died, so-and-so sick, so-and-so. And And we don't care because it's all self-serving and self-centered for the most part. Now, he goes on and says they're truce breakers, a generation of truce breakers. Does anybody really keep their word anymore? Are there peace treaties and, you know, let's be at harmony, let's be at peace, and it's just broken by the smallest of things because the spirit of offense and fear is running rampant within our society? How about false accusers? Man, you you had two impeachments against the president of the United States with accusations, right? Nobody knows to this day. We have a new president, Joe Biden. We don't even know if that was legal or not. Some people know, but there's nothing they do about it. So truce breakers, I mean, there it is. How about traitors? Or no, let me go a little bit more. Incontinent. You know what incontinence is? When you get to be really old, you no longer control your your bowels or you can no longer control your bladder. And so you have to make way because you become incontinent, okay, without controlling of your bladder or something like that. And he's talking about an incontinent generation. No restraint, no holding back. Are we that generation? Absolutely. The, The whole mantra was just do it. Let it rip. Do as thou want to. Do as thou desire, right? The satanic Bible. And that's our generation, an incontinent generation, no restraint and no holding back. Fierce, are we a fierce generation? You just saw fierceness for a year on your television screen, and that was just a part that they showed the society because they're using it to get us desensitized because of the things that are coming. But our prisons are filled with violent rapists, murderers, drug dealers, I mean, gangbangers. So, yeah, it's a very fierce generation. And is it a generation of those who are despisers of those that are good? Yeah, good people are despised by evil people. Because you look at, you know, the homosexual community, for example, against Christians, against Franklin Graham. You know, you're bigots. They, they just had this uh, March Madness basketball. I was told the story. haven't watched one game. But they had this March basketball thing going on where uh, Oral Roberts University was playing Arkansas. And uh, before that game, the news media all over the country basically told everybody how bigoted and anti-homosexual Oral Roberts was, putting the pressure on them. So again, you have the, the despisers of those that are good. Christians are despised by the homosexual community. We're despised by the antichrist, satanic. I mean, it's just happening in our society right now and all over the world. Then he gets into traitors. A lot of traitors, backstabbers, right, speak peaceably into someone's face and behind their backs slander the daylights out of them. Uh, Heady people, in other words, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do. High-minded generation, we could do anything. The sky is the limit. High-minded, never giving glory to God. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Is that going on in our generation? We love pleasure. Just go anywhere in this country. See the yachts in Newport Beach. Go on down to Laguna Niguel. Go on down to San Clemente. Go along the western coast. Go to New York. See the sky rise. I mean, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And that certainly does appear that we've become that in our generation. So while these things may have always existed, but just measuring it by a country called America, Judeo-Christian nation, these things did not exist for many hundreds of years in our country. But in our generation, we've seen an exponential rise 
of all these things where Paul was telling Timothy this know that in the last days perilous times will come. And he describes perilous times as man's inward, selfish, anti-God, anti-Christ, pleasure-loving, I mean, reality. And we're there. Can we ignore it? We see it every day. And then Paul wrote and told Timothy to the believers, well, here's what you're supposed to do when you see these things. These people that love pleasures more than God and all this that he talked about, he said they have a form of godliness. America has a form of godliness. God bless the United States of America, right? We hear every person in power say that. What are they talking about? They have a form of godliness. The Lutheran church has a form of godliness. The Presbyterian church has a form of godliness. All denominational churches have a form of godliness, but yet they're participating in homosexual agendas. Come on. That's not godliness, all right? That's ungodliness. So they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And, you know, anybody that's denying the power to live a holy life, denying the power to get the victory over sin, denying the power to go against the flow of what's going on in the world today, you could have a form of godliness, but if you're participating or capitulating to what's going on in the world, you are denying the power of God to live the way that God wants you and I to live. And he doesn't want us to be a bunch of religious bigots. That's not it. He wants us to be holy sons and daughters, purified in our spirit, walking in the light of the Lord. I mean, that's just a good thing. Now, what he says, that anybody that has the form of godliness but denies the power from such turn away. In other words, have nothing to do with them. Don't fellowship with people like that. Don't have anything to do with people that are arguing the cause of unrighteousness. Jesus Christ paid a price for the sins of this world, and to promote sin is real blasphemy against God, and it will be met with a heavy, heavy punishment. Now, if we turn just a little bit to uh, chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to pick it up in verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. We're looking for the signs of the times of what will be happening before the Lord returns, and these signs will also be telling us of events that are coming, like the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own desires shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. One of the greatest fables that has ever been taught within the church age, which is an exponential thing now in our generation because of technology, is the pre-tribulational rapture doctrine. It is not sound doctrine. Pre-tribulational rapture of the church, a imminent disappearing act of the church, is a fable. It is a fairy tale. It is not sound doctrine. It cannot be proven in Scripture. In fact, Scripture totally disproves it, but people turn away. What is one of the signs? The time will come they will not endure sound doctrine. People don't want to hear persecution is coming. People don't want to hear that you're getting ready to enter into the greatest time of tribulation the world has ever known, has never been, will never be again. You're the final generation that's going to be face-to-face with the Antichrist powers, the devil himself. People want to hear good things, smooth things. Tell us how to get rich and successful and et cetera, et cetera. Come on, let's just be honest, okay? It's always about 
tell us what we want to hear. But sound doctrine warns a generation that sees these signs coming, that these are the signs of the times of what is coming. The Antichrist is coming. Persecution is coming. The church, the ecclesia of God. Tribulation is coming. You know, a seven-headed dragon with ten horns is coming. A beast is coming. Another beast is coming with two horns like a lamb. I mean, it's all coming. It's all coming. Wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence. I mean, commotions, unstable times globally. I mean, what's holding up society today? Is it sure foundations we are living on right now? Or are they false foundations that are crumbling beneath our feet? The only foundation that you and I should be standing on is the foundation of the rock, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and doing them. So when we hear the word of God and do it, now we're like a wise man that built our house upon the rock, an unshakable foundation. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, according to the book of Hebrews. So the time is coming. We don't want sound doctrine. We want to be told what? Before the bad days come, we're going to be disappearing out of here in a preacher rapture. And what walks hand in glove with that idea? Another fairy tale. Once saved, always saved. That is the doctrine that runs hand in glove, again, with the pre-trib rapture. Pre-trib rapture, no trouble. We're out of here. Live your best life now. Then when trouble comes, we're gone. And once saved, always saved. I believe in Jesus. I went to the altar. I believe in Jesus. But I love the pleasures of the world. I love them more than I love God. I sin. I watch pornography. I smoke. I drink. I fornicate. I commit adultery. I have pride, jealousy. But... I'm saved by grace through faith. Again, a fairy tale doctrine that runs counter to the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets, by the way. But again, this is just another fable. And what are people going to be turning to in the last days? Fables. And why? Because they're going to heap to themselves teachers. So they want somebody to tell them, that's what a teacher does, Having itching ears. Listen, we want you, and it's nothing new, we want you to tell us smooth things. We want you to tell us things that will make me feel happy. Let me tell you something that will make you feel happy. You can actually be happy if you have confessed all of your sins, repented from all of your sins, are walking in holiness and righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit, praying and interceding and communing with God, doing a little fasting along the way, praying for your friends, giving to other people, living the life of salt and light. That will make you very happy. I don't need to tickle your ears and tell you that you could live like the rest of the world in your flesh and still have your salvation name written in heaven. I could show you contrarily in the book of Revelation that if you don't repent, God will blot your name out of the book of life. I could show you lots of scriptures that say that, okay? But people today don't want to hear that. They just don't want to hear it. But it's a sign of the times. Now, he goes on to say, they shall turn away their ears from the truth. I don't want to know the truth. I want you to tell me, prophet, pastor, apostle, whatever, I want you to tickle my ears. I want you to scratch my back. I want you to take care of my itch. My itch is for the desires of the things of the world. My itch is to live out of my flesh because I like it, because my flesh nature, I like it. So it's an itch, and I want you to scratch it, okay? I want you to take care of my knees. Now, he goes on to say, 
and they will be turned unto fables. Another fable in the body of Christ, not only the preacher of rapture fable, not only one saved, always saved fable, which is totally dismantled in the scriptures if anybody wants to read them, but also the fable that Christians cannot have demonic problems in their soul. Because I'm a Christian, I cannot have a demon in me. Because Jesus Christ is in me. And the obvious answer to that is if Jesus Christ is in you, then how could you ever get sick? You shouldn't be getting sick if Jesus is in you. Well, because Jesus is in me, I can't have a demon. And yet, we could tell you one story after another of people that we have met in the ministry for 28 years that have come to faith in Jesus Christ and fallen in love with God but never dealt with a demonic issue in their soul and the struggle that they had back and forth. I love Jesus, but my sin, my addiction is there's something there that just takes me at beyond my own will. And I just fall back into it. Well, you got to ask yourself a question when psychologists and church psychologists are saying to you, You can't have a demon. It's only something in your psychology. Well, what is directing your psychology? What is influencing your psychology? Well, it's just my emotions. Well, what's influencing your emotions? Well, it's just my flesh. The works of the flesh are hate and anger and jealousy and pride and lust. Well, where did that flesh nature come from? Oh, when I sinned in the garden, the devil took over and he put a Uh, a demonic intelligence in my flesh. My flesh nature, the works of my flesh, are demonically inspired. They want to do everything carnal and and everything hostile to God. Even my carnal mind, according to Romans chapter 8, is hostile against God and will not obey God. It says that directly in Romans chapter 8. Why? What's in my carnal mind? Is it some, uh, you know, object that's left to itself? No, my carnal mind is inspired by the devil. It has demonic intelligence, demonic information. So if there's demonic intelligence, is there not spirit behind that intelligence? If there's demonic thinking, is there not intelligence, demonic intelligence behind that thinking? If emotionally I'm, I'm unstable and I'm flip-flopping everywhere, well, what is behind those emotions? What's influencing them? Well, my, the sin and, and my flesh, well, who's behind that? All you have to do is start really searching it out, and it's an absurd conversation to me. When you see Christian men violently beating somebody, or you see uh, Christian men and women committing adultery and fornication and say, well, it was just my flesh. I'll go to the altar on Friday, you know, uh, Sunday after my Friday night fling. Well, what's controlling that kind of activity in your life? So, again, fairy tales. And fables in the last day, making people believe they're never going to see a day of trouble. There's nothing they can do to lose their salvation. There's no demonic possession. These are three major issues that biblically do not stand up in light of Scripture. Do you know that two-thirds of Jesus' ministry was casting devils out of people? Do you know that when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, One of the ministries of Jesus is to enter into your soul and begin the process of emancipation. 
He's there to cast out the ites inside of you. And remember he said he wouldn't do it all at once. It would be little by little. Now, one man that he met had a legion of demons. Some people say that was up to 16,000 demons, maybe 32,000. And Jesus cast them all out at one time, and the man sat in his right mind. And he was turned to be an evangelist. So Jesus' ministry in your life is to emancipate you from demonic possession. You can't just say, well, Jesus came in and the demons just left. It doesn't work that way. Jesus has to do his work in our soul, in our mind, in our intellect, in our logic, in our thinking, in our reasoning, in our intelligence. He's got to clean us up. That's why the Holy Spirit's at work in us. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And by the renewing of our mind with the word of God, things of the darkness are exposed. And now we have a better ability to see what's binding so we could take it captive, cast it out, and we could go forward in the advancement and freedom of the kingdom of God. Anyways, we could talk about that forever. I'd rather have Patricia Joy come and talk to you about this issue. But anyways, we go back here. They'll turn, their way, they'll turn away from the truth. They'll turn to fable, fables. But here's what the Christian is supposed to do. Remember, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Christian, the true follower of Christ, should turn away from anybody that has a form of godliness but denies the power. And now he says that we are to watch thou in all things. He's telling this to Timothy, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. You and I have to do that. Do the work of an evangelist. You and I can do that everywhere we go. Make full proof of your ministry. In other words, really study, get deep, go into the word, get your ministry full proof because it's going to be contended with when you step into it. So that was instruction. Now let's go back to another passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're just in the book of Timothy here, right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, and let's look at verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to seducing spirits. Are there in our generation seducing spirits? How many atheists today were once Christians? How many homosexuals and lesbians were daughters and sons of pastors? How many have been seduced to believe it's okay to commit innocent blood in your womb? It's okay to change your identity. It's okay to do all the evil, wicked things. It used to be condemned in society, but now it's okay because the seducing spirits from hell have taken positions of power in the earth. So not only that, they would give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. You know how many homosexuals believe that they're going to heaven? Most of them. Not too many actually say, ah, I'm going straight to hell. No, they believe that they're going to heaven. Well, how do they believe that? By seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Where are these doctrines of devils being taught? Not only in the news media, but behind the pulpits of America today. The church is is dead The church is dead today. The majority of the church is dead today because of these false doctrines. Okay? Now, and these are doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. 
signs of the times. Now, we know this has been going on for some time, but it sure is growing exponentially. Verse 18, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God, and here's what we need to understand about all these things going on in our world today. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Where do we ever read that? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. How is God's wrath revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness? Don't you see it everywhere? Do you see the devastation, the destruction, the pain? I mean, in Mexico, they threw a five-year-old and a three-year-old smugglers over the fence, dropped them to the ground. I mean, it just is unstoppable sex trafficking, slavery, people being slaughtered and killed and murdered. Oh, my gosh. You say that's the wrath of God? Yeah, that's the wrath of God against unrighteousness. In other words, God allows these things to happen by withdrawing his protection. There's no protection over the people of this world because of their abandonment of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. In unrighteousness. You know, that's what we are being held accountable for. Ministers of the gospel, we will give an account for what we have done with this word. We're certainly not to take this word as a hammer and bang people over the head and condemn them. No. We should exhort and we should warn and we should cry out from the rooftops, repent, turn from your sin, blush when you do something wrong. We should warn I mean, but we should also have as much love and compassion and mercy and grace for the sinner, considering that ourselves at one time, we too were sinners, and we've been saved by grace through faith. Thank God somebody showed us Christ by their actions and by the word that they taught. Because, verse 15, or verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. So in other words, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, the next time somebody makes an excuse for their actions of ungodliness and unrighteousness, tell them you have no excuse. You know the truth about God. It may be buried in your subconscious, but you know the truth because God has written his law upon every heart. You know what's right and wrong. Now, if you have become so debased and you have become reprobate and hardened and implacable, well, now you're in really big trouble. But what should happen is that you should have a knowing, and so when the truth is heard, you should be convinced and convicted and, and understand, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm doing wicked things. And that's the opportunity for salvation right there. Okay? But just let everybody know, let us all know, there is no excuse for unrighteousness. There is no excuse for ungodliness. There's just no excuse for it. Because, in verse 21, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations. 
That's what's happening to the world. That's what's happening to people. And their foolish heart was darkened. Okay, that's why we need to bring the glorious light of the gospel to people. But again, the God of this world has blinded their minds. So their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You know, the world is very foolish when you compare their wisdom to the wisdom of God. They're all foolish. It changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I mean, they exchanged the reality of God into their own likeness or their own image or their own likings. Wherefore, here's a sad indictment. God also gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So this lust, this desire that mankind has, God turned them over to it. And what is it? They changed the truth of God into a lie. It's okay to be a homosexual. It's okay to have an abortion. It's okay. And they worshiped and served the creature, the created beings, more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. You say, well, that's a really bad indictment. It is, but it doesn't stop there. It tells us explicitly what it is. Verse 26, for this cause, because they've done that, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So now even nature itself tells us that a woman was created by God to be connected to a man, and the two of them would procreate and get married and have a family, and it would be normal, nature, natural, 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 right? But now God has given them up unto these vile affections. What is a vile affection? Well, a woman that leaves the natural use, who changed the natural use into that which is against nature, what does that mean? And likewise also the men, so the men did the same thing, leaving the natural use of the woman. Men left the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was due them, was meat, was due them. What's Paul saying here? He said, the thing that's happening in the human race that produces this reprobation, this, this twisted, perverse unnaturalness are people who are doing what is being promoted in our society today. And it's out of the closet. This used to be against the law for a man to be with a man and a woman to be with a woman. But it's even more unnatural than that. It's very unnatural for a man to change his body into a woman and a woman to change her body into a man. That's just unnatural. It's unnatural for a woman to have sexual intercourse with an animal. Do you know in the Old Testament, that's exactly what they were doing. That's why there were laws against women laying before a beast, an animal. 
It's unnatural. It's unnatural. And it's sexual in nature. But what is being promoted in our society today? The unnatural. Why is it being promoted in society today? It's being promoted because it's a sign of the times. We read that Sodom and Gomorrah was an example to any nation or people that would follow its example. It would be destroyed. America is being destroyed, and it is going to be destroyed with fire from heaven that's going to destroy the world, the country that we live in too. Why? Because God said anybody that does what they did in Sodom and Gomorrah will pay the same price. So nothing's going to change. It's going to be like the days of Noah, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what are we doing in our generation? We're promoting Sodom and Gomorrah. We literally are promoting it from the Supreme Court of the United States of America on down through all the courts of our land, into our music industry, into the Hollywood or television industry, entertainment industry, into the church. It's everywhere. And yet people are ignoring the signs of the times. What do these signs really talk about? The coming destruction. The coming destruction. Persecution against the church. Tribulation against the church. The survivors of World War III that is coming. I mean, there are a number of things that still have to happen before the tribulation comes. So, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, you see, and this is the reality, let's just be honest. The world doesn't want God's knowledge in them. They want fairy tales. They want fables. They want false doctrines, seducing spirits. They don't want to retain God, the true God, the true doctrine in their knowledge. And because they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, simply meaning a very useless mind. In other words, people that are participating in the homosexual community are useless to God unless they repent, unless they confess. Such were some of you. When Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which I want to get over to right now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, know ye not, this is something you should know about these times, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you know that? Well, we're not just talking about homosexuality. All unrighteousness God visits. We just read that in Romans. His wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Is there unrighteousness in you? Is there unrighteousness in me? What do you know that is not right about you? Well, what's the only thing to do with that? Work it out. Confess it. Repent. Turn away from doing what's wrong. Start doing what is right. Receive the blessing of doing what is right. And that's how easy it is. That's what followers of Jesus do. If there's anything found in me that is wrong, I've got to work it out. I don't want to be unright before God. 
Now, be not deceived, he goes on to say. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. Are you a fornicator? Are you having sex with all kinds of people? Are you watching pornography? Are you spending time in this illicit sexual thing? Have you not gotten control over the sexual nature that's been demonically inspired that's driving you into these sins? Well, don't be deceived about it. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate homosexuals, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. What is he saying? Don't be deceived. None of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of it. And such were some of you. That's the good news. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. So, what are we talking about this morning? Recognizing the signs of the times. And while things have been going on from the beginning of time, we have to recognize when an exponential thrust in these things is taking place. And then we are to interpret, what is this sign? I like to go back to Passover of 2014. There was a sign, was in the sky, with a blood red moon. Do you remember that? Passover 2014. There was another sign during Feast of Tabernacles 2014. It was a second blood red moon. There was a third sign in the heavens, On Passover 2015, a third blood red moon, and then there was a fourth sign in 2015 during the Feast of Tabernacles, a fourth blood red moon. They called that scientifically a tetrad, four back-to-back blood red moons on feast days. Well, what were those signs about? Remember, God put the sun, moon, and stars for signs and seasons? The word signs there is the oath, and it literally means omens, red flags, alerts, warnings, signals. What was God signaling to the earth in 2014 and 2015? And then in 2016, a solar eclipse split the nation right in half from Oregon to South Carolina, right down the middle of this nation, a solar eclipse, a sign in the sun. And then in 2017, another sign appeared in the heavens on September 23rd, 2017, where the Revelation 12 constellation showed up perfectly and was seen for one evening over Jerusalem. The exact constellation of Revelation 12, a woman clothed with the sun, a moon at her feet, 12 stars at her head, the three planets joined Leo, it all lined up, Jupiter bursting forth out of the matrix, was all there. What were these signs? Well, in 2016, turmoil really hit our earth with the Donald Trump election. We went into massive turmoil in the 2016 election, and everything got, you know, the, sign, the, the beginning of sorrows 
We saw contraction after contraction. We saw what? We saw school shootings in Parkland, uh, Florida, where 17 kids were killed. We saw 26 people killed in a Baptist church in Texas. We saw 58 people killed at a harvest conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. We started seeing weather go crazy. Four back-to-back massive hurricanes wiping out areas around the world that were just absolutely devastating. We saw fires burning in California like we had never seen before. We eventually woke up from all of these particular signs to a year of lockdowns and a pestilence that killed so many millions of people called COVID-19, the China virus. We saw people wearing masks. The signs of the times, those warnings of the blood red moons, the solar eclipse, lights out, and the constellation of Revelation 12 were all signals to us of what is coming. And now, with this COVID-19 passport, you won't be able to buy or sell. Now they say it's not going to pass, but are we playing games here? You don't know how fast forward things could get. We don't live in a normal society anymore. You just had a president ousted by deception, and you don't think they're going to pass it? I don't know, but they're doing something that can accelerate the nations of the earth into a global control. But first, there needs to be some population control. We need to wipe out billions of people off this earth. Billions have to go. And according to scripture, about three and a half billion presently would have to die in the coming famine, pestilence, and war. Got to stop childbirth. Got to keep abortion going. Stop birthing and produce afflictions that will kill people. It's all written in the book the Bible, the book of Revelation. So we had signs, the sun, moon, and stars. We had signs in the weather. We see signs all over the world, everywhere. Australia just went through a massive historic flooding. We saw cattle by the millions in Nebraska, in Iowa, floating in the dead waters of the flooding that came through that storm that came out of the Dakotas, I believe it was, the Horatio, whatever it was called, the Derechio. We forget that millions of cattle were killed. We forget the droughts. We forget the wiping out of the crops. We forget so easily because we are a generation that really We don't want to see it. We don't want to remember 2008 and the housing market collapse. We don't want to remember how millions of people lost everything they had and had to unfortunately walk through that kind of stuff. We forget the war on terror, 9-11-2001. We forget that our generation has been hit with judgment from every direction all over the world at the same time. We've been under judgment. America has crossed the point of no return. John MacArthur just talked about it's too late for America, his latest sermon. 
In 2003, God revealed to this ministry that America had crossed the point of no return. It would never be the same again. And we've waited 18 years, and it's never been the same again. Because America is going to be destroyed. America is already being destroyed with judgment because of our sin. But judgment, if not taken heed to, and creates, if judgment doesn't produce repentance, then it gets to brokenness. And if you break it and still doesn't want to turn, then you destroy it. And America is on the path of total destruction. You're living in the midst of it. You're here on this earth at this time. What are you supposed to be doing? Ignoring the signs of the times? Are we to ignore Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile island where grown men were having sex with younger boys and girls? Thousands of high-powered politicians. We forgot that Jeffrey Epstein was arrested and then under 24-7 surveillance was murdered. Swept under the carpet and you've never heard another thing about it. Because the people that are in control in government are so evil and so corrupt, none of them wanted to be found out. You've never heard of Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, the one that was setting it all up. Where did she go? Whatever happened to all these people in all these places? What happened with the information of Bill Clinton being on Lolita Express 26 times? Supreme Court Justice John Roberts been to Pedophile Island a number of times. Who knows who else was really there? Who knows why people are losing elections and just kind of saying that's okay? Who knows how dark and how deep the deception goes? Well, you're living in it. It's corruption. It's defilement. It's evil. It's wicked. And yet you are the people that are supposed to shut your mouth, pay your taxes, and keep the spending spree going for the government employees. We, the people, really should be their bosses, holding them accountable. But it's all turned around. We now fear a government that is so wicked and so corrupt and so evil. And we have been put in the proverbial pot like frogs on a lily pad, getting warmed up to the point we're going to get cooked and nobody could do anything. And the one time there was a minor movement in January of 2021, it was demonized and those mobsters were dehumanized by the left after nine months of bloody violence and fires raging in our nation because of the evil corruption in the news media and politicians. It's all a vicious game. They just want to keep everything so that they keep living. And these people way down here, just shut your mouth, pay your taxes, go to work and leave it alone. Wow. The last time I read my Bible in Ephesians 5, it said that we are to have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. When's the last time you exposed the unfruitful deeds of darkness in your sphere of influence? When's the last time that you allowed the word of God to come out of your mouth in light and truth that eventually light and truth would expose what's in the darkness? By your silence and capitulation of doing exactly what they want you to do, shut up. There's no light coming out. 
There's no exposing of the darkness. And when there is some exposure, you see how quickly they put it back under the cover, sweep it under the table, wipe it out of the news media. News media doesn't talk about it. It doesn't exist, except in those absurd backroom conspiracy theory channels. You live in this world, and it's screaming something to you and I, Christians, the ecclesia, the called out ones living on planet Earth. These signs are screaming at us. And what are they saying to us? Unless you take up your cross and follow me and forsake all, you cannot be my disciples. What does that mean? What I've learned is when we forsake everything, God supplies us with all we need to take care of what we need. We need to do something, church. We need to gather together the true ecclesia of people that understand the signs of the times and are not brainwashed to believe we're not going to be here. We need to start living like we know the day is coming. You won't be able to buy or sell without a mark of the beast. You won't be able to go to the grocery store, get on an airplane, travel, pay your mortgage, pay your taxes, your bills. You won't be able to live in this world. There's going to be no way except being in the wilderness with God for three and a half years, like Revelation 12 says. And if we don't qualify for that, and why there are those that go into the wilderness for three and a half years where they're preserved and protected, why did the church in Philadelphia be, why were they the only church that God promised, I'll keep you from the hour of temptation? Because they were faithful to God, they did what was right, they stood And there was no reproach against that church in Philadelphia. None. Jesus had nothing negative to say to them. So they were going to be kept. If you and I think we're going into the wilderness, but we're not being faithful in every area of our lives, we can't expect to be going there. We will go with the majority, according to Revelation 7, into the Great Tribulation. And there we will have our robes washed in the blood of the Lamb because we will die. We will be martyrs. We will be persecuted. We will know what it's like to know hunger because we won't be able to buy or sell anything in this new world order that is coming. And the signs that are happening everywhere are telling us, screaming at us, it's coming. So what are we supposed to do? Prepare. Be faithful. Don't engage with people that have a form of godliness, but deny the power. They will turn on you. They will be traitors. Jesus said, going back to a very familiar passage of Scripture, Jesus said, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, shall betray one another, hate one another. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. If your love waxes cold, are you saved? If you betray the brotherhood, are you saved? If you are offended and hate your brother and sister, are you saved? He's not talking about the unregenerate world. He's talking about what's going to happen to Christians because of the affliction, persecution, and death 
that's going to hit them, and they're not ready because they thought they'd be gone in a pre-trib rapture. They once had love. They once weren't offended. They once weren't afraid. But now something is happening, and they're still here, and they were supposed to be gone. But now the whole world is coming against them. It's tribulation time. It's tribulation time. So do we ignore that? Oh, come on. That's for a later date. Right now, let's, let's, let's just ignore it. We can't ignore it. See, I, I understand balance. I understand that we live in a, in a beautiful world, God's world. Blue skies, sunshine, green grass, springtime. And I'm going to make this abundantly clear with everything I just said, and you have to hear my heart on this because it's true. Balance. While this crazy thing is coming, what we believe, Patricia and I, what we believe together, this is the best of the best of times for God's people. You say, how could that be? Well, consider this, that during the Passover in Egypt, the first one 3,500 years ago, God was terribly disrupting the Egyptian empire, the world global empire, right, of that day. He was terribly disrupting it. I mean, it was horrible, nightmare what was going on, those plagues. But what was happening to God's people? They were in Goshen. They had light when the darkness went on everywhere else. God preserved them and protected them. And God then brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, a supernatural, the best of the best times. How do you walk through a Red Sea with the waters parting on dry ground? And they went into the wilderness, and God was a cloud by day, a fire by night in his theophany. God was giving them bread from heaven, water out of a rock. I mean, he was their sustenance, their provision. God was with them. Literally, they could see his theophany of a cloud and fire. Come on. He wants to be the same to our generation. He's not abandoned us to these days. He calls us to live in a certain manner that we may walk with him in our wilderness experience, being preserved and protected from what's coming. But if we are unrighteous or disobedient or wasting time and not getting things worked out, we're going to find ourselves in another place. And it will be used to bring us unto a salvation. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to go into great tribulation, do you? And I don't want to be deceived. And he said the number one thing that's going to happen in the last day is that deception is going to run rampant. False Christ, false gospels, false apostles, everything false. Everything's a lie. How do I see that? How do I know that? How do I know the difference? Where's my discernment? There are people, you know, we talk about people just in our midst that we think are nice people, and they're not nice people. Why didn't we know that? Where was the check? Where was the concern? Where was there? Eh, something's just not right. Where is that? Do we even pay attention to that anymore? We need discernment now more than ever. Do you know something about individuals? You just can't put your finger on it? Pay attention to that. And watch. Watch how people live. Watch. Listen to them. Hear them. Observe them. The people in your sphere of influence, observe. Don't criticize. 
Don't be fault-finding, finger-pointing, looking for trouble. Just observe and listen. Watch. Keep praying, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Let me know the truth. Is this sermon that this man is preaching right now true? Is this real? Is this right? Because if another person could get on here and convince you of the pre-trib rapture and once saved, always saved, and you believe it, how does that happen? How do you tell millions of people the pre-trib rapture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? They read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and they show you the pre-trib rapture, but it's really not there. How does that work? Watch out for deception. We're standing by the mercy of God. We are not high-minded. We are not know-it-alls. Man, we are the weakest people on the planet. The man you're looking at right now or hearing, weakest man on the planet, completely and totally dependent upon God to keep me and to save my life. And I fear the Lord. I don't have an assumption. I'm not going to make an ASS out of you and me. I refuse to have an idea. Lord, Lord, open unto me. I prophesied in your name and cast out devils. I don't know you. I fear that. I don't want to go to hell with a worm that never dies. I just don't want to go there. I want to have a blessed assurance of my salvation, which is evidence of transformation, proof of a changed life from the inside out. Not a house, not a car, not money in my hand. That is not proof that I'm born again and going to heaven. That's not proof. What is the proof? It's my attitude, my mindset, the fruit of my nature, my obedience to God's word, my faithfulness. And that takes a lot of work to really view ourselves. How do I, how, what do I really feel about things? I mean, you have to look at it, and it's a work. And if we ignore the garden of our hearts, the weeds will grow up. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches will choke the word and produce nothing. At the end of the day, I don't want weeds to grow up and choke my life right now. After all the years of allowing discipleship and training and being taught by Jesus through life's experiences to fail now, That is not an option right now. To fail right now for anything is not an option. That would be like Esau selling his birthright for a pot of beans. I'm not willing to do that. How about you? I don't want to do that. I beg and crave Christ to keep me and the Holy Spirit to never leave me to give me the strength and the power that I need every single day to live an abundant life in the joy of the Lord, in the fruit of the Spirit, but very aware that there are pirates on the sea that want to steal the treasure out of my heart. And I just refuse that. I reject that. I reject it. I would rather die today, right now, if God knew that I was going to fail tomorrow, I would ask God, take me off this earth Now, before I fail, for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to go to hell. But number two, I don't want to embarrass your name, Jesus. I don't want to be another person that preached but didn't bring his own life under subjection. 
I didn't want to embarrass you. I don't want to embarrass Jesus. I don't want his name to be blasphemed. Oh, that preacher that preached all that stuff. Well, look at him now. I don't want that. I would rather die before I ever did anything to truly embarrass Christ. And there are areas of my life that I'm working out in my attitude about certain things that I'm working on, learning to love more, love God more, love myself more, love my wife more, love the church more, love people more. You know, I'm working on that. I desire that to be a life giving spirit to people that are in sin and darkness. I've been a sinner. I know how dark and evil and yucky sin is. I don't want to be a holy roller condemning people for their condition. I want to show them a way out. And one-on-one, we could do that on these air podcasts. You want to warn the wicked, whether they're in the Supreme Court, John Roberts, repent. If they got dirt on you and they're bribing you, don't live as their slave. Tell I try to tell everybody that just tell on yourself. Tell on yourself. That's how I got to become a pastor. I constantly told on myself, publicly, constantly. Too many people are holding their sin. They're like playing their cards close to their chest. They don't talk. And yet they're not moving forward in the purposes of God. Tell. Don't hold any secrets. Just tell. Our failures will be turned into success. Our broken lives of the past will be turned into a testimony of God's greatness. And if you're embarrassed about what you're doing in your life, that's pride. So break the pride. Tell. Go to your pastor. Tell. Before you get caught. Tell. What's going on? Speak, reveal, tell on yourself. It hurts for a while. Sometimes it's brutal. You guys got to go through it. Your soul is on the line. And the church has to have a greater effectiveness in our witness to the world. How can we witness to the world if we're doing the same things they're doing? That's Romans chapter 2. So let's keep working it out. Let's read and interpret the signs of the times that we're in. We haven't talked about three quarters or more of the stuff that's going on around us. And Jesus said it would come like a snare on the whole earth and they would not escape. Don't get caught in the trap. Be sensitive and say, Holy Spirit, please guide my life. Please direct me. Please help me to do the hard things that I don't want to do. Please help me in my areas of weakness be my strength. Get my brain and my mind into a beautiful, pure, clear conscience. Help me not to be so critical of other people. Read Romans 14, Romans 15. Study the word of God and and do what it says. I'm telling you, it produces such peace and such joy to know that we are pleasing our Father. And remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So live a life filled with faith. Know what's going on. Don't be afraid. 
pray for an immersion, a baptism. Pentecost is coming. You know what kind of baptism you and I need? Immerse me in the agape love of God. Let every cell and fiber of my existence at the altar of my heart explode with agape love, conditional love, so that the love of God will be shed abroad in my heart so that I could share that love everywhere I go without compromising the truth. Live an abundant life. Thank God for the life you have. Enjoy the benefits of your life. If you need help, ask for help. It's an amazing season for the children of God. We should not reject it. We should not bury our heads in the sand and ignore it. We should not be afraid of it. We should have a courage on the inside of us that says, Lord, thank you for the life you've given me. It's better than anything I've ever dreamed, but it is all yours. It's all yours. And if you want it back, you can have it back. I want to go to be with you, and I want to become like you throughout eternity, and I'm not willing for temporary things to bind me up. This has got to be our cry. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Win your battles and your victories, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Win. Run your race and win. Run it. Put your shoulders back. Lift up your head. Take a deep breath and say, I'm not going down like this. You're not going to beat me, devil. World, flesh, and devil, no way. I'm going to stir the gift of God in my belly, and I'm going to rise up and ascend to the fruitful fields of abundance and the glory of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep your eyes on him. To help you do that, there's a program coming up right now called Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. It's on omegaradio.org. OmegaRadio.org, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy, Xavier, and her friends. You're going to hear a great conversation. Go there right now. You've been listening to The Watchman here on Omega Radio, Blog Talk Radio, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope we've been a blessing to you. Have a super abundant, blessed day. And we'll see you soon. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, right here on this channel. Until then, shalom, God bless. Amen.